That is one of my all-time favorite worship songs. A group by the name of All Sons and Daughters sings it. They are fantastic. Cannot go wrong listening to that group. John chapter 6. Go ahead and turn with me into your Bibles to John chapter 6. Today we start, um, I believe this is the longest chapter in the New Testament. Um, the, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to be done with this chapter by the time we get into Advent, because that starts in December. Um, but we're going to get as far as we can. But we're going to just look at the first 15 verses of John chapter 6. So if you're there, say word. All right. If you'll stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. John chapter 6. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of, of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who was to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and I pray that as we go into this time that you will add a blessing upon it. Use me as you see fit. Help us to see you as the all-satisfying king. In your son's precious holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The title for my message is not the all-suffering king. It is actually the all-sufficient king. George Mueller, who I have shared with you before, a man who lived in the 1800s, is known for his commitment to prayer. He lived most of his life in Bristol, England, and there he had an orphanage. He fed, clothed, and educated as many as 2,000 orphans at a time. One morning, the house mother informed George Mueller that the children are dressed and ready for school, but there is no food for them to eat. George asked her to take the children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables, and there, he thanked God for the food 
and he waited. George knew God would provide food for the children as he always did. And within minutes, a baker knocked on the door, letting Mr. Mueller know that for some reason, he felt the need to bake him three batches of bread last night and that he was going to bring those in. This is a, this is a true story, by the way. Soon there was another knock at the door and it was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage and the milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. And so he asked George if he could use some free milk. So George brought in about 10 cans of milk for the children. God provided for them that day. Now, I could use this illustration and share a message on prayer and the power of prayer, because that's usually what this illustration is meant for. But I wanted to share this illustration on God's provision for others. See, George and those children, they didn't do anything to deserve a meal. They only asked and God provided. Today, we begin chapter six of John. We're going to look at probably one of the greatest miracles that Jesus performs besides the resurrection. It's most definitely the largest miracle in scope because it doesn't just deal with 5,000 men. It deals with the women and children as well, which means there's possibly 20 to 25,000 people present at this miracle. This is the only miracle that is in all four of the Gospels, showing the truth of it and the importance of it. So today we're going to talk about this feeding of the 20 or 25,000 and how Jesus is the all-sufficient king who provides for our needs. That's the big idea for today. Jesus is the all-sufficient king who provides for our needs. I want you to wake up this morning because this is one of the greatest chapters out of the Gospel of John. This is an amazing miracle that John, that Jesus performs. And so I've got three points, like any typical Baptist message, three points that I want to share with you from the truth of this miracle. So here's point number one. Jesus has compassion for our needs. Jesus has compassion for our needs. We see in verses one through nine, uh, let's start in verse two. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his, his disciples. Now the Passover, this is important, the feast of the Jews was at hand. In verse five, lifting up his eyes, then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He saw a physical need. This crowd was following Jesus. And they followed him, not because he's the son of God, but because he does amazing things. Either they have needs themselves that need healing, or they just want to watch him do something amazing. Either way, they're not following him because they believe he's the son of God, or because they loved him, or because they wanted to change their lives and follow him in repentance. No, they just thought that he did amazing things and they want to see more. However, in Mark's telling of this miracle, Mark points out something about Jesus that we must know. Mark 6:34 says, "When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus has compassion. And the crowd that followed him, they didn't know who Jesus really was. They were lost like sheep without a shepherd. They were confused. They were fickle. They, they, they needed to see Jesus for who he really is. But right now they only saw him as a means to their physical needs. Now remember why, why, remember why John wrote this gospel. So that we may believe that he is the son of God. See, Jesus sees the crowd and he knows that they have traveled long distances to see him. And he knows that they didn't pack anything to eat except for what the boy brought. Because remember, Christ knows. So Jesus performs this miracle. This feeding of 20 or 25,000 out of compassion for the people. Not only to satisfy their physical hunger but to hopefully satisfy their spiritual hunger as well. Church, let me ask you, do you have compassion for people's needs? If the church is called to be like Christ, then shouldn't we share the compassion of Christ? I'm talking about all kinds of needs. I'm not talking about just spiritual needs. I'm talking about physical needs too. One thing that I pray for is that Red Cross Baptist would have a compassion like Christ for people. People who are in physical need and people who are in spiritual need. I pray that we have compassion for people who are hurting and suffering. I pray we have compassion for people who are lost, who are addicted. Y'all have heard that Stanley County is the highest, has the highest number of opioid addictions in North Carolina right now for four months, almost five months running. As your pastor, there are some days when I stand up here and preach and I look across this congregation and my heart hurts because of the needs that I know are within this church. We have shut-ins in our church whose hearts are broken because they can't even get here to worship. And sometimes they feel like they aren't even a part of this church anymore. We have people who are suffering with cancer and are having to take treatments. We have people who are suffering with illnesses such as Parkinson's and COPD and loneliness and depression and anxiety and you name it, addictions, maybe to painkillers or anything more serious or, or even pornography. And we may even have people within this church who think they are saved when in reality they aren't because they have trusted in their own works and not in Christ's works for salvation. So do we have compassion on people within our own church? There are needs within this church and there are needs within our own community. Do we have compassion there as well? So you may be asking, yes, I see the needs, I have compassion, but what can I do? What is there to do? Verse eight. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? This boy, he brought a snack 
Five barley loaves and two fish. Now it's interesting that John's gospel is the only account that shares that the bread is made of barley. It's poor man's bread. Barley was a poor man's ingredient. And this isn't food fit for a lunch. It's an afternoon snack. Think of crackers and sardines. That's what you're looking at. This boy was willing to give up his lunch to help feed this crowd, to help meet the needs of others. But here's the thing. It was insufficient. Even Philip was counting the money. It was insufficient. We don't have enough to care for the needs of the people that we have here. See, here at Red Cross, we're, we're not asking you to sell your house and cars to serve in our church. We're not asking you to quit your jobs to serve in full-time ministry here. We're asking you to give what you can, to give the time that you can, to give the money that you can. Because here's what the text shows us. The boy did not give enough to satisfy the whole group. Because you're looking at around 20,000 people here. That don't even satisfy me, that little basket. But Christ took what was insufficient and made it sufficient. He used what little the boy gave and made more than enough of what they needed. See, not only does Christ show compassion, but Jesus is the true source, is the source of true satisfaction. He's the source of true satisfaction. John Piper is most notable for his quote from his book, Desiring God, which says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Church, there's a reason John shows us in verse four that the Passover is near. There's a reason he uses that reference to compare what Jesus is doing. See, the Passover was celebrated each year to remember how God rescued a people out of Egyptian bondage by having the people slaughter an innocent lamb, smear the blood above their doorposts so the angel of death can pass over them. John also brings up the Passover so that we may be reminded of the time that God provided manna from heaven to feed his people and provide for their need. See, Jesus is using this miracle to show the people that not only can he provide bread for physical satisfaction, but hear this church, he is the bread that provides true spiritual satisfaction. He's the bread that was broken for our sin and shame. And he's more than enough. See, this crowd that Jesus fed thought that he only brings physical satisfaction, which is temporary. They see him healing people from sickness and illness, from, from, from physical problems. They, they see him turning water into wine, and now they see him taking a basket of, of a small basket of bread and, and fish and then multiplying it for 20 or 25,000 people. This man can truly satisfy my physical needs, is what they're thinking. But he's trying to show them that he's more than that. That he is what truly satisfies our soul. Within our context, we seek so many things in this life for satisfaction. 
With me, it's technology. For example, this past Monday, Apple announced their new iPad Pros. And boy, let me tell you, once I saw them, I was wiping the drool off my current iPad. The irony. I was already pricing them and seeing what I could do, what I could sell, or who I, who I could give up <laughs> to afford it. <laughs> but church, other times we seek satisfaction from other things in, in this life too. We seek satisfaction from money, possessions, people, TV, pornography, alcohol, drugs, you name it. And we leave with a temporary satisfaction only to need to find something else to fill that God-sized hole that each of us have in, in, in our souls. Have you ever wondered why we keep coming back to those same stupid decisions, those same shameful, sinful choices that we keep making? It's because we're searching for something that can only be found in Jesus. And think about this as well, church, since we're also talking about serving. We are insufficient to provide for the needs of others. You are insufficient to provide the satisfaction for your neighbor. Just as the boy brought what was insufficient, Christ made it sufficient. Hudson Taylor, a Christian missionary to China, he wrote this in 1898 to someone in need of encouragement. He said this, go forward in the strength of the Lord and in the sufficiency that comes from him alone. And thank him for your conscious insufficiency. For when you are weak, then he can be strong in you. Isn't that good? I came across that this past week and it spoke volumes to me because church, I'm going to share this with you and I've shared it with you multiple times. But there's nobody in this room, nobody that feels more inadequate than I do. I am a 30 year old head pastor with no seminary training, pastoring a 75 year old Baptist church in rural Stanley County. Nobody feels more inadequate than I do. But as I read this passage, I'm encouraged that Christ can use my inadequacies, my insufficiencies for his glory to serve his purpose. And he can use yours as well. Second Corinthians 12, nine, it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Maybe you don't feel like you can keep up with the children in children's church because of your age, maybe. Well, we have a few babies in here who don't do a lot of moving, but they need a whole lot of holding. Maybe you don't have the energy it takes to wield a hammer or a saw for manual labor. But we have some shut-ins who would love for you to just stop by and say, hey, and let them know that they're being remembered. We have elderly who could use a nice card in the mail. Maybe you can't teach Sunday school or Bible study, but maybe you can help chaperone or support our youth pastor and his wife as they lead the youth ministry. Church, we need men on security. You, do, you may not know how to fight, 
But we need people to be our eyes and ears so we can be safe as we worship freely. Church, we have areas for service. And you may feel inadequate for that service. But Christ wants to use our inadequacies for his glory. Because every part of service that we do in this church, every single thing that we commit to, every single position we try to do means something here. Because everything we do here is trying to glorify Jesus. Everything we do here. And so we need people who are willing, even though they feel inadequate, to trust in the sufficiency of Christ within their service. But most importantly, and this is what I want you to see in this passage, it's more about Christ than it is about us. Amen? I want you to see that Christ is sufficient in who he is. See, we don't need money and possessions and sin for satisfaction. We need Jesus. And we are insufficient in and of ourselves. Jonathan Edwards once said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. You are insufficient. Church, we are insufficient to provide for our satisfaction, to provide for our own salvation. And when I'm talking about Jesus provides for our satisfaction, I'm talking about being truly satisfied in who Jesus is. Being truly content in our Savior. Finding our hope and trust and joy in Him. And that's why Christ is so good. He's so gracious. He's so merciful. He's so compassionate. He wants to provide for our, our salvation, our true satisfaction in Him. He's the bread from heaven that was nailed to a cross for our sin. His work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead is what brings true satisfaction, church. And he wants us to get rid of everything else that poses as true satisfaction. He wants us to destroy that sin that is destroying us so that we can rest in him and in who he is. This crowd, the disciples, ourselves, we all need to see Jesus for who he truly is. He is the son of God who came to earth, who within his deity took on humanity so that he can experience our weaknesses and our temptations so that he could die because of the sin that kills us every single day. He came to be the bread of life for you and me. He came to be our all sufficient savior. So what are you seeking for satisfaction in the world? What do you need to give up today so that you find true satisfaction that can only be found in Jesus Christ? Because he's God. He's Savior. He's Messiah. He's Lord. He is our true source of satisfaction. And number three, he's the king we don't deserve. So we see in this passage, verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. He, he provided the bread. He's the source of life, the source of our true satisfaction. 
So also the fish as much as they wanted. Verse 12, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Jesus is more than enough. More than enough. His his grace overflows. His mercy overflows. His, His life overflows. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now, verse 14, the people have seen this miracle. The crowd sees what Jesus does. Check out what happens in verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into this world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. See, the people, after they had eaten to their field, they see Jesus as the prophet that was prophesied in Deuteronomy 18. It says this, Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses. A prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. He's talking about Jesus. This, even though the people, the crowd, they saw this, this, this prophecy of Jesus being the prophet, even though they were correct in that prophecy, they had a confused view of this prophet. Because they see Jesus as, as the prophet like Moses. Remember, this is the time of Passover. So in their mind right now, they're, They're dwelling on what God did for the people of Egypt by providing a prophet to rescue them out of Egyptian captivity, by providing bread in the wilderness so that they would survive. See, these people, they're looking to Jesus as the prophet so that he would rescue them from Roman rule now. If Jesus, is, if Jesus is like Moses, Moses rescued people out of Egyptian captivity, Jesus can rescue us out of Roman rule. And then on top of it, we'll never go hungry because <laughs> he can take just a little bit of bread and just blow it up. They want to make him king by force. Because they see that he can take care of their physical needs. He can rescue them from worldly people. And he can make sure that they never go hungry again. See, church, Jesus is the king we don't deserve. And here's why. The crowd wants to make Jesus king on their terms and not his. They come to Jesus now so that he'll do what they want him to do. And here's the thing. Christ will not be king on our terms. He is establishing a kingdom that is out of this world. But too often, church, I want you to hear this. Too often, we come to Jesus on our terms. We want to come to Jesus so that he'll fix our marriage. We want to come to Jesus so that he'll fix our circumstances. 
We want to come to Jesus so that he'll make us healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And a lot of times, this may be you, we only come to Jesus when things are bad. Because we want him as king on our terms. How many in here feel like the only times that you feel like you want to follow Christ and pray to God and seek him is when times are tough? That's because we don't want him as king of our lives telling us how we should live, but only us telling him how he should rule. Man, we do that. We want Jesus on our terms. Church, Christ is king on his terms. And if Christ isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. We can't make Christ bow to our feet. We bow to his. He is the all-sufficient king of the universe. He is sovereign. He rules. He's majestic. He's glorious. But do you see what happens when people come to Christ and want him as king on their terms? Verse 15, what did Jesus do? Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He withdraws himself. So do you think that if, if we're going to come to Christ, do you think he's going to want to be king of our lives if we want him king on our terms? Do you think he's going to come and rule in your life if you only want to tell him how to rule? I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, there's no placing king on, on a throne. King, uh, Christ is already on the throne. Christ is already there. He's already king of our lives, whether you like it or not. But we see in John 2, 23 through 25, we, we've already seen this. It says this, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus is king on his terms and he is truly the king that we don't deserve. He knows that his kingdom would only triumph temporarily if it was to rescue a people from Roman rule. And he knows that he would have to die and rise again in order for his kingdom to triumph and to rescue people from their bondage to sin and death. Church, Christ is king. And that is how we should view him. You're not going to go to a king and tell him how he should rule. You bow at his feet. You give him the honor that he deserves. You give him the glory that he deserves. And Jesus deserves all of our worship. He's the king we need. The all-sufficient king who provides for our needs. The bread of life. I want to conclude by saying that Christ is enough. He is the bread of life that has come to save us from our sins, to be the source of our soul's satisfaction. And you may be here this morning and constantly seeking that satisfaction. It may be through drugs and alcohol, pornography, people, things, money, work. Can I plead with you this morning, church? Can I plead with you to throw those things away? Because if we surrender our sin and our lives to him, scripture tells us that he cast our sin 
as far as the east is from the west. He casts it into the deepest of oceans. And, and as Corey Tim Boone, I believe, once said, Christ cast our sins into the deepest of the waters and post a no fishing sign. Christ is all we need. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, it says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. One of my all-time favorite hymns, and this is me closing. It says this, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word, I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, I thy true Son, thou in me dwelling and I with thee one. Third verse. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, high King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision. O ruler of all. Okay, goosebumps. Let's pray that Christ remains our vision as the all-sufficient king that provides for our needs. And I pray that that is your truth today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the satisfaction that you provide through your son. Lord, I don't know... I may know some, but I don't know all of what's going on within this congregation this morning. But you do. You know the hearts of this crowd and, and, and you know what their needs are. God, I pray. I pray that if there's anything within us that is holding us back from that true satisfaction that you provide. From that true sufficiency that you give us through the bread of life. God, I pray. I pray that you would help us, help us to repent of it, help us to get rid of it, help us to kill it before it kills us. God, I pray that you would help us to see you this morning as that high king, that treasure, the all-sufficient ruler. You are such a good God. And we thank you so much for the mercy and the grace and the love that you give us. So help us this morning as we come to you this time. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.